Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. Today we are talking with someone with a name that millions of Americans can probably relate to in the last year. Her name, Girl With No Job. But don't let her name fool you. Claudia Oshray is one of the busiest people on the internet. And today we are going to talk about a girl who had no job to a girl who now has a media empire. We start the conversation by talking about when Claudia went to NYU. She followed the blueprint. She did what she was told. She broke that blueprint and she gets into higher education and her thoughts about higher education. And I did some research. NYU is not a cheap school to not follow the blueprint, but it worked out for her and she gets into those details. Now I went to nyu.edu to look at what the cost on an annual basis is and they estimate the total out-of-pocket costs are roughly around 83K a year. That's steep. But Claudia gets into her take on that and everything. Now, Claudia has about 3 million followers on Instagram. Her husband, Ben, is boy with no job. He has 1.6 million followers. It took her about four years to get to this point. And she talks about the money she made then and the money she makes now. And she just sold a monster New York Times best-selling book, Girl With No Job, and is crushing it. She sold thousands and thousands of books pre-order uh, that help her get to that level and help her get that New York Times bestseller, which she kind of breaks down. The podcast absolutely crushes it. They do so well. They actually have a show every single morning. And they have built a community of what they call toasters. And the toaster community is so sticky to Claudia and her sister. They want more. They want more. They want more. So Claudia talks about how she found ways to give them more. From her own podcast network to the New York Times bestseller, merchandise, and a live tour that she did called the Dirty Jeans Tour. She is a brilliant businesswoman when it comes to marketing, branding, scaling, and growing. And here we go. We have the honor of Claudia coming in hot. The girl with no job on another episode of Trading Secrets. Claudia, thank you so much for being here with us today on Trading Secrets. Thank you so much for having me. I cannot wait to trade some secrets. Let's trade some secrets. So yes. we're going to break into your career, find out some stuff about how you got to where you are and some of the details that maybe there's something someone could take away as they apply it to their life as a consumer, employee, worker, business owner, entrepreneur, etc. So I'm going to get into it. Like when I read everything about you, Claudia, you got a 3 million follower IG account. You wrote a New York Times bestseller. You're hosting a podcast and YouTube channel every damn day. Uh, 
clearly you have a job. But I'm curious if we take a few steps back before we dive into all the success you've already had. What were you doing before you actually built this empire of girl with no job on almost every and any media front? Um, I was in college. So I started this entire thing my freshman year of college. And I kind of built it throughout the four years that I was in school. I was still working and taking internships. I went to NYU, which is like a very career-oriented school. And everyone's like on the fast track. They got jobs lined up. And I just kind of showed up like like with no idea what I wanted to do. I was majoring in physics and I was just like being a college kid for a few months. And, and it gets really boring really fast because I went to a really rigorous high school. It was a dual curriculum Jewish school. So I was in school 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. like every day doing the secular history, math, and then also Jewish studies. So it was like a really rigorous curriculum. And then when I got to college, I had like one class a day. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I watched so much TV. I was like eating snacks. I was like partying. But it does get really boring really fast, especially at a school like NYU. That's not really a party school. It's very much for people who are on the career track. Yeah. And so many of my friends like had internships lined up and they knew exactly what they wanted to do. And I was just kind of for the first semester, just like hanging out, doing nothing much. And it did get really boring super fast. So I got an internship because that's what everyone did. Sure. And at my first internship, I started this blog called Girl With A Job. And the blog was basically meant to document the trials and tribulations of being an intern. And I did, um, unfortunately, get let go from that internship rather quickly. <laughs> and I changed the name of my blog to Girl With No Job because that more accurately reflected where I was in my life. And that name just really catapulted. No one was reading Girl With A Job. Like it was this pathetic blog made on Tumblr. Like it was really sad. Um, but when I changed the name to Girl With No Job and then I started like experimenting on Instagram, things blew up really fast. And so when you go to NYU, you kind of followed this like blueprint. You then went to the internship. You said it yourself. It's because everyone else did that. Knowing mm -hmm. what you know now, you're in the sciences. You take this ultimate detour into comedy, blogging, and media. When you have a child of your own or you're mentoring someone, would you suggest them to go to a school like no. NYU? Or what, like, what advice oh. would you give knowing like what you did? That's a good question because I have a real love-hate relationship with NYU because I do feel like I don't think I would be where I am right now if I didn't have those four years. It was like the energy there was great. And like I didn't go into college like wanting to be my own business owner. But by the time that I left, I didn't even need to get a job. Like everyone who I was graduating with had jobs lined up. And I was literally making people's entire salaries in one Instagram post. So like to graduate and get a job like at a desk in a corporate company made no sense. So I'm really grateful for like the four years NYU gave me like living in New York. NYU is like a very, like I said, career oriented school. So a lot of my professors understood like towards the end why I was never in class, but I was flying to LA and killing it and making tons of money and making awesome connections. So it was good in that sense. But I do feel like I was robbed a little bit of that college experience. Do I regret it? No, because I'd rather I'm happy with where I am. But you know, you you have friends who go to state schools. My sister went to like an amazing school upstate and she had like the best memories. I have none of that. Like when yeah. I drive downtown towards the NYU campus, like I actually have a panic attack. I just did not like, have a good time there. But it's not for everyone. And it's definitely a sacrifice. There's no like community. There's no real party scene. New York is your party and that's great, sure. but you do miss out on that campus life. And the more I think about it, like I do wish that I had that, but I also am so glad with where I am now. And I don't think I could have done this at, you know, 
a state school away from home, not in a big city, not with the the type of energy that NYU has. That makes sense. And you touched on something that has been a very prevalent topic within this podcast because we have had, we do a reality TV series or once a month, we have someone from one reality TV show and they open, disclose everything, their financials before the show, during the show and after the show. And so one of the biggest takeaways and common themes with all of them is exactly what you said. They come off the show, they build this platform, they do one Instagram post and it's more than they made on an annual basis before they were on the show. But I'm curious for you and anyone that's listening is social media has become such a hot business. How long, like how much grinding were you doing before you got to the point where you could monetize to have one Instagram post equate to a salary? It took like four years because when I first started monetizing, maybe like a year and a half into it, I was making like a thousand dollars. And for a college kid, that was huge. Everything. (laughs) And I didn't know that I need to to like save some of it for taxes. Cause when you're a freelancer, that's kind of like the real tough learning curve. And I talk about it a lot in my book. Like I have had to pay back taxes for money I made in college because what the fuck did I know? Like, okay, you, okay. So my first sponsorship ever was with Burger King and they paid me a thousand dollars. So what did I do? Like I ran and bought myself a nice purse. Like I spent the $1,000. And in the years since then, like almost every year, like I get a letter from the government for money I made in college that I did not pay taxes on. And I've had to repay it all plus interest, plus penalties. Like it is a journey and it sucks. And if I ever like meet someone and they're like, well, what, what can you tell us? I'm like, get a fucking accountant, a good one. And don't forget to pay your taxes because like, it's such a cliche. And that's why all these reality stars end up in jail. It's not because they're like trying to evade the government. It's because nobody teaches them. Like when you go from living at home to making a million dollars an episode on the Jersey shore, there is no learning curve for how to properly file your taxes. And when you're in such a new space, like we are, there's no tax law for how to be an influencer. So it's really difficult. And that's why like the first thing, like if you start making money, like, and it costs you money, but you have got to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you in those particular fields because it will save you a lot of pain and, and money. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we talk about all the time is the lessons that we have to know in life every single day. They're just not taught in our curriculum. And it's just, yep. it's, it's a damn shame. And like taxes are one of those things. And even I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about you, Claudia, and in different places people live. So if you're listening to this, you know, think about your financials. Like, where do you live? Why do you live? If a lot of your, you know, part of the reason we live in Nashville, Tennessee is because a lot of our income is freelance for Caitlin and I, and there's no state income tax associated with what it. Now you live in the big city, girl, you are getting worked, yeah. but you're also I'm- crushing it. So. You give no, I'm, to take, getting, so. I'm getting rocked. And I <laughs> thought millions of times about moving to Nashville or Florida or Dallas, like anywhere with no income tax. But at the end of the day, the federal tax is going to get you no matter where you go. And that's like the big one. So it is True. what it is. Exactly. But don't get me wrong. I have thought about it many times. And those taxes in New York are going up with this, this new administration. But yes, we'll move are. away from tax I strategy. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> Peace and love. Uh, so <laughs> tell me about one other thing that I think is you just can't find in a textbook, Claudia, is the way that you've built this loyal community of toasters. They, I mean, you are, they are look up to you, laugh to you. They go through tough times and you put the smile on their face. Aside from being yourself, what is it do you think you've done from a strategic business perspective that's allowed you to build such a loyal community and base? That's a good question. And probably the one that I have the worst answer for, because of course I set out to be successful, but I didn't set out to specifically have a loyal following of people who will read my book and purchase tickets to my show. And I think that having this kind of earnest, almost authentic intention with starting my brand is the best way to do it. Because if you set out to be like, I want to get people to spend money on me, like, that's just inauthentic and people aren't going to relate to that. And so much of what I do is like 
and so much of the success of my podcast and the Instagram is the consistency and being a part of people's everyday routine and them relying on you just to get their news or to, you know, make the commute go by faster. So my intention has never been like, I want to have a cult following because that's like random and specific. My intention was always, always, always to make people happy. Like I've always felt like that I was this hilarious person and I was like really positive. And I think that like, and I talk a lot in my book about how like I've dealt with like a good amount of grief in my life. Like I lost my dad when I was 14 and that's like a fucking traumatizing thing to go through the first month of high school, like right after my parents got divorced. Like it was really traumatizing. And I've always just had this like light spirit about me where I have even in the face of adversity, like always managed to stay positive. Like, and I, and I do that by leaning on my family and being funny and that I feel like really translates to all the content I put out because at the end of the day, the point of all of this, like, of course, this is my job now. I want to be successful. I want to pay my bills. But really at the core of what I do is just to like make people happy, make them smile, make them like life is so, so fucking hard sometimes. And so if you can listen to a podcast that makes you forget about all that for an hour, then I did my job. And that's literally what I do every day. Like that is the goal. Of course, also to be successful. But really at the core, the goal is just to be a bright light in what what feels like in the last couple of years, like such dark times. We've heard the girl with no job talk a little bit about it. I've talked a lot about it and many of my guests have. And what's really important to know is that so many Americans are experiencing financial hardship, especially in the last year. And if you're carrying a credit card balance month after month, it can just like feel like it's this endless cycle. You keep digging. It's this endless cycle of debt. What you need to know is that there is a company that can help you called Upstart. They can help you make that final payment so you can get ahead. And how do they do that? They help you by regaining your footing so that you can get things back on track. So with a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 up to $50,000. The cool thing is, is unlike any other lenders, Upstart considers your income and your current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. And you can receive funds as fast as, get ready for this, hold on tight, one business day after accepting your loan. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash secrets. That's upstart.com slash secrets. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash secrets. Yeah, I mean, such dark times and someone who's been through something like that, losing your father after a divorce at 14, you know the impact of putting bright light into people's eyes and their day-to-day life. Because like you said, life is brutal. And especially, I mean, the last year, the things that people have gone through financially and professionally is just next emotionally, level. Emotionally, I mean, mentally. Emotionally, like, mentally. So it's heavy. Just been, I mean, we got the roaring 20s around the corner. Shit's about to go nuts. I can't but, fucking wait. <laughs> before we get to the roaring 20s, I like the one thing that you do with your followers too, as you have, you know, if people want to just tune into your stuff, your podcast, they can pay nothing and just get a smile on their face. But you also have set up the Patreon model where people that just, they need more Claudia, they want more Claudia, they can get it. How is it? I think it's about seven bucks a month. So one, one thing, tell us a little bit about what that membership is. And two, if you can kind of open the eyes of anyone out there where they might be able to create some type of membership model like this, what do people get for it? And how successful has it been for you? 
So it really happened very organically. And pretty much all the decisions we make around the podcast are based on what the listeners want. And so most people do weekly podcasts and we were doing daily podcasts, which is a lot of content. And it's a we lot figured, of work too. It's a lot of work. For anyone and we that doesn't know, that's a lot. We figured it's like enough to satiate people, but people were just like constantly wanting more. They're like, do vlogs. We want an episode about this. And so we figured out ways to do that. That's why we started our own podcast network, Toast News Network, where yeah. we have content, more content from influencers and reality stars who we're friends with, who we think the toasters would enjoy their content. But it's like, it's actually amazing. Like people are always dying for, for more content. So then we're like, all right, let's start a subscription program. And we thought about building out um, like our own platform, like an app mm-hmm. or a website, which was the most expensive route to take. But we thought it would be the most beneficial. And then the more we spoke about it and like did research, it's fraught with peril building your own platform, like the tech issues. It's just, and the thing is with podcast listeners, like if your audio isn't good and your tech isn't good, they are on to the next. Like you have mm-hmm. no time to have tech fuck ups. Like right. they do have, they have no patience for it because there's another podcast that's just as good with better audio. So you sure. have to like, you can't fuck around. So when we were researching it, we had never heard of Patreon. I didn't know anyone who was on it, but I'm like, there has to be a platform like a Facebook that lets you host paid content. And we were really surprised that like, there wasn't a way to even make podcast public on the podcast store for purchase. Like there was no way to do that. Sure. So we looked at a bunch of platforms and Patreon was the best one for a multitude of reasons. One, they have great like customer service. So they handle customer service for the actual Patreon customers, but then also for us, like if we have any issues, we've had, we have like no tech issues. It's such a great platform. And I feel like new platforms are popping up like it that are really popular, like OnlyFans, which of course like has a stigma for being pornography, but people yeah. make other content on OnlyFans sure. that isn't pornography. But Patreon was just like there for us at the perfect time. And the model really works for us. I mean, you can make a bunch of different tiers on Patreon. You can have someone pay $5 a month and get X. And then someone can pay $10 a month, get X and Y. We have one tier. It's $8 a month and you get five extra episodes from us. Yeah. And they're a little bit more personal because they're behind a paywall. You feel more comfortable. You know, the people who are actually getting access to the podcast are more loyal. They're not trying to like, you know, record it and put it on Tumblr or whatever. Like it's very, it's like a safe space. So we do more personal content. We do vlogs, we do podcast episodes and they're more themed because the podcast every day that's free is, you know, pop culture news, entertainment news. It's a new show. But so we do more themed podcasts. And like, I just basically say stuff on there. Like I would be too embarrassed to say like on a public podcast, like we did a whole podcast about plastic surgery we've had done. It's like a judgment free zone. So it's been really great for community building, but also really great for our business. Have you been surprised by the amount of subscribers you've been able to get from it? Yes, because our thought process is like, we have five episodes a week for free. Like why... Why would anyone need more than that? But people connect with the content and they're happy. And I think it makes it makes us all more connected because not only do they get more content, but then they really feel like they're a part of the journey of the success of your business because they're a part of it. They're paying for it per month. And also, you know, you incentivize on Patreon. We have like a bunch of other perks besides the episode. Like if you are a member, you get access to like a private Facebook group, which is for members only. Sure. You get early access to uh, tickets um, for my tour. And so a lot of the times, like my tours will sell out just on Patreon before even going on sale to the general public. So there's like a lot of benefits from becoming a member, not just the episodes. Brilliant. And one thing I will say is we have a business and networking membership and we did the opposite. We built the website, we did it all. 
And you're right. It took so much longer than expected. And there are always hiccups and it's expensive. So therefore, the pricing's got to go higher. So I think you made the right decision there. And the other thing you touched on is OnlyFans. It is a wild business. We've had a couple of reality stars on that have talked about their OnlyFans account so much that we have Tim Stokely, the CEO of OnlyFans, coming out to talk about some of the things you did. Because you got, like you said, you got the sex selling aspects, but there's also a lot of people that are using it for just monthly membership and have totally different content. Yeah, there's like a bunch of real housewives on it. But I do think like it sucks because there is that stigma and a lot of people will go to another platform besides OnlyFans that can do the job just as well. So even though it's been great for a lot of people, I think a lot of creators are hesitant to move over to it. Yeah, I mean, it does have a stigma associated with it. I don't feel too bad for OnlyFans. They're growing over two billion they're, they're in sales. Tim Stokely's net worth is around two hundred million, and five years ago it was like ten million. So I think he's just absolutely crushing it. But one thing yeah. you're doing, Claudia, is you're you're obviously always finding ways to expand, but doing it the right way. And I love it that your husband Ben has a Instagram uh, boy with no job. You have your pup that has pup with no job. I'm curious how you ended up integrating those two into your business. And then once I started seeing Pup with no job, boy with no job, everything else you're doing, I'm starting to think, man, she must have a massive team. So what does the whole team look like? And how did you actually integrate uh, your husband and Pup into this whole business model? When I first started, my blog was like a parallel to the same time Ben and I started dating. And my Instagram was like getting so popular. And I was getting followed by like all these celebrities. And for me, like being obsessed with pop culture and celebrities, like That was the greatest gift. So I used to spend every night, like after school, scrolling through my followers to see who followed me most recently that was a celebrity. And now there's like a bunch of programs that can sort your followers for you, tell you like who the most influential people who follow you are. But back then I was doing it all manually. So it was literally like hours of scrolling when I'm like trying to build a relationship with Ben. I was just like so laser focused on it. And Ben eventually got like fed up with just me constantly... (laughs) scrolling and like not really contributing to the relationship. And I was just like, it was an attempt to like get him off my ass. So I'm like, why don't you start one? Like I'm having so much fun. Like, yeah, I do it too. Brilliant. And honestly, I thought it was a smart thing because my followers back then and still now are like overwhelmingly female, like over 90%. And that that used to bother me. I was like, you know, I want everyone to follow me, not just girls. So I'm like, if I make boy with no job, that can be like the more male centric space. And I told Ben to like start it and play with it. But I eventually planned on hiring someone to run the account and like become the personality behind it. But Ben just really like ran with it. And he has a very unique sense of humor. And it ended up being such a good thing for our business because now it's like a family thing. Um, But I didn't intend to like have him be boy with no job, but it just really happened that way. That's awesome. And so how you say you, one thing I'm still kind of like my head spinning on is you said you don't have a team. How are you possibly putting all this content out with a team? What's that look like? So I guess like in a sense, maybe I do have a team, but I think a lot of people think of it as like, you know, like a 10%. It's not really that like, so me and Jackie host the podcast together yep. and we have like two people who work with us on that to produce the show, like a freelance audio editor, video producer, and then everything else is really run by me when it comes to like my tour and working with like brands and stuff. I have an agent, Mm -hmm. but all the content that gets put out and basically like the, the face of the brand, like it is really all me. Like I make all the content, Jackie and I produce and edit all the episodes. Like we, it's us. Yeah. And I will attest to that. So I was on your show. It was awesome to be on it. But I was blown away when I walked out of there, how lean it was. Like it was an unbelievable production, 
but it was just you and your sister. No mm-hmm. one else was there except I think there was a younger guy and I should know this coming into this podcast. I don't. Was that your, your brother maybe? Or I just a, a an intern? Okay, so it's just you two. So it must have been a worker of some point. When you came on the show, we were we're not in that studio anymore. We rented gotcha. a studio in Long Island City, which was like a Gary Vaynerchuk space. Cool. And he has this like amazing studio that you can rent. And when you rent it, you get access to video producers, freelancers. So there was always people walking genius. in and out, but they didn't work for the toast. Genius, genius stuff. That's awesome. And we, we have Gary V actually coming on in two weeks. Super excited oh, for that. Cool. It's cool that you work with him. The guy's unbelievable. But Claudia, from your standpoint, all these aspects of, of revenue that you have coming into the door, which are, are plenty, which I'm going to ask a two-part question. Which source of revenue has been the most lucrative for you from all the different businesses you have? And which do you think is the most rewarding? Such a good question. Like really so good because I have the perfect answer. Obviously the easiest money, and I'm sure you and Caitlin know this, the easiest money is corporate sponsorships. Like they, there's, especially in the influencer, like Instagram space, there's no regulated fee for what you should be paid per Instagram follower. Like you can literally make up your own rates. And over the last eight years, I've gotten paid insane amounts of money for one Instagram post. But then also I'll do the same Instagram post for a brand that has less budget, but you take it anyway. Like it's so not like democratized yet. Yep. That's so easy. But when you work in the comedy space and you are in the digital space, you open yourself up to controversies, cancellation, scandal. And I have had many a brush with controversy, saying stupid shit, doing stupid shit. And that corporate money is gone as fast as it was coming in one day ago. It's So it's great money, but you cannot rely on it. Like, so essentially when I started my business, I got to a place like in 2018 where all of my income was incumbent on brands pitching to me and brands wanting to work with me. I had no revenue outside of that. And when you go through your first scandal, and of course, corporate companies want nothing to do with you, (laughs) they're piecing the fuck out and you are left with nothing. So when I rebuilt my brand in 2018, it was under the guise of like, great, I will accept sponsorship money, but I cannot have it be my sole income because you leave yourself so susceptible in this in this very like kind of cancel culture sensitive time. Like you have to have other revenue. So while corporate money is amazing, it is not rewarding. Yeah. But now building an audience and having revenue come in that you own and you earned and that nobody can take away from you a subscription program, ticket sales, book sales, like that's the most rewarding because that's the thing for me at least I built up from scratch and that nobody can take away from me. So there's a huge difference. One of it is easier. It's easier yep. to get corporate money. Instagram is the wild, wild west. It's not easy to have like a fan base and be able to generate revenue outside of corporate sponsorships. Wild Wild West is probably the 15th time people have come up and talked about Instagram on this podcast. And there's no other way uh, to put it but the Wild Wild West. And you're so right. Because to get some of those like big recognizable names is fantastic. To get the paycheck, especially when your team is lean, is amazing because your profit margins are insane. Mm -hmm. But to your point, the longevity of these deals, they're one-offs, right? Maybe they hire And they're getting less and less. And they're there's so many Instagrammers right now. Exactly. So, like eight years ago, I feel like I was one of like 10 people who were eligible for certain campaigns. Now there's like literally a thousand. So you have less chance of getting that budget because there's so many other people. And mm-hmm. brands are now spending less money on certain influencers because yep. your dollar goes so much further now. Like it's becoming like brands are getting a little bit more hip to it. And to you, they also have these algorithms and computer software in place where they can see the engagement. It's just not a following game. Um, Which I think is great. World. So I do think I. that's great. I think and so that's too. so long overdue because like, 
I can't say this enough times. Like, just because you have a lot of followers doesn't mean does shit. not mean yeah. anyone gives a shit about what you think. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we, so we actually had one episode, uh, you would like it. I might send it to you. We have two CEOs of two of the biggest influencing companies and they oh. break down all these analytics and how the game has changed drastically. And to your point, obviously the supply of influencers is so big, but also the brands now, there's so many more brands in the game and even brands that were uh, not early adopters late to the game over COVID uh, had to get in the game because it was really the only way to grow their business. So it's mm -hmm. a wild game. And you talked about losing partnerships because of some scandals and stuff like that. I mean, I know uh, just through the, the line of communication, like Hannah Brown had a scandal, uh, an issue, and she had lost over a half million dollars that were lined up in the next couple of weeks. So it could be impactful. And that's also why it's so edgy. I talk about this a lot in my upcoming book. But one thing that prevented me from achieving my big goals was my anxiety. And it was getting so bad, I actually had panic attacks. Now, I dig deep into why, but I wouldn't have been able to find out why if I didn't get help, if I didn't get something to take care of me. And I needed a professional, a licensed professional. And so if you're feeling the same thing, that something's interfering with you achieving your goals or your happiness, it's so important to know that there are resources out there like BetterHelp. BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who are specialized in a multitude of different things. For example, depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, grief, self-esteem, and anything you share is confidential. The service is available for clients worldwide. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. All 50 states. I want you to live a happier life today. And as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com dot com slash trading secrets. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash trading secrets. And so one thing I want to ask you about moving into this is uh, a revenue source for you that you said is one of the most rewarding is your book. And so your book comes out, New York Times bestseller. It releases in July, Girl With No Job, The Crazy Beautiful Life of an Instagram <laughs> Thirst Monster uh, at the beginning of 2021. That's awesome that it came out and it's been so successful. The first question I have for you regarding the book, I've always wondered this. I'm actually writing a book, just put in the manuscript oh, uh, not too long ago. It's been a fun and <laughs> gruesome process. But <laughs> yeah, how do you be like what someone out there, we always see New York Times bestseller, New York Times. How do you become a New York Times bestseller? What are the metrics behind that? Okay. So like, I was so curious too, because like, of course, when you release a book, you want it, it to resonate with people and all that, but you want it to be successful. And yeah. the ultimate benchmark of a successful book is a New York Times bestseller. So there's like virtually no information about it online. It's like a very privileged kind of secret from the New York Times. What's interesting is that the New York Times bestsellers list is technically an editorial article. So while it is based on, it's a chart, it's based on sales, it is editorial, so nobody can sue them. So like there's a famous case of like some guy said he sold more than like the person on the list and he never made the list and he tried to sue the New York Times. It's editorial, it's opinion-based. So you gotcha. can't you can't sue. But when I was having the initial conversations with my publishers, I was very upfront. I'm like, you know, obviously I want to be a New York Times bestseller. Like, what do I have to do? 
Now, it depends, obviously, on what books came out the same week as you. I had heard that um, anywhere between like, so what counts as pre-sale is from when you announce your book till the first week of sales, that all is contributed to the first week of sales in the New York Times bestseller. So you get like three months. It's not just the first week. So pre-sale is a huge process to get the New York Times. Okay. That's why you see people going hammered. Because it. those three months plus the first week that it's actually out all contribute to whether or not you're eligible for the for the list. And you have most likely you can make it, you can make the list whenever, but you're most likely to make it on the week your book comes out your debut. Okay. So I said, I'm like, what what do I have to do? And they said it's obviously, you know, dependent, but they said we see like between, you know, six and eight thousand copies will get you on the list. And I thought that was low. I ended up doing like way more than that. So well, I was put it out. We talk about numbers here to make people uncomfortable. Brag a little bit. <laughs> yeah. How many? Honestly, like a lot. Like I was Tell me sure. how many. I'll tell you later. Like I'm actually okay. like, I'm actually embarrassed. Like, over or under 10,000. Way over. Come on now. Let's go. Yeah. No, but see, like I was really meticulous about the promotion of it. About like I just did not stop. I'm sure my followers were like so over me at this point, but like for yeah. three months, like I went hard in promotion. I did everything. I did signings. I did Zoom. And this was all in COVID. So a lot of people do, especially people who have like loyal podcast followings, they'll do like a weekend tour where they'll hit up a Barnes and Noble in Boston, New Jersey, New York, a thousand tickets each. Every ticket gets a book. So those sell out because people would love to come see you. That's 3000 books already. Sure. So you, when you're releasing a book in COVID, you don't get to do that. So you really got to get creative with like, you know, contests and giveaways. And I tried everything and I was just so hell bent on making the list. And I didn't even talk about it because I just like, I was so, because it's, it's beyond just selling the books. You can meet the quota and not make it because it's editorial. The New York times is very prestigious. They don't always want to associate with influencers, you know? So for an, for a digital person, you know, if the benchmark is between six and eight, like you got to hit way higher because they're most likely like not dying to put an influencer on the list. Makes sense. Right. No, it makes perfect sense. Okay. So one thing I have to ask you about the book is where I've struggled a little bit is that, right, I have this Instagram account, restart underscore reset. It's all financial career navigation, post and content that is out every single day. Just like you, my issue is like, how I got to differentiate the material significantly. So mm-hmm. I'm giving you the floor here to pitch this New York Times bestseller over 10,000, well over 10,000 copies in the first week with pre-sale. What differentiates your book from all the content that you're putting out every second of the day? Good question. I mean, the content I put out every day is more topical stuff. The book is really evergreen. It's my whole story, how I got to where I am unbelievable things that have happened to me, just like being this freak who ends up at a party with Elon Musk and ended up on a boat with Leonardo DiCaprio. Like it's, and it's the perspective of like these unbelievable A-list things from the perspective of someone who's dying inside. Mm -hmm. And my philosophy over the last couple of years, when it came to like scandals and drama was mom's the word, don't say a word, shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I use this book as a real opportunity to kind of say my piece because I thought it was the best medium to do that, to sit back, take time, write out meaningfully what I feel, get out my side of the story. And so for people on the internet, they live for the drama. And so for me, this was like the first time speaking on like a lot of my controversies that I'd never spoken about. And when it came to marketing, I knew that's what people cared about. So I, I put in as much as I was comfortable with talking about it all, mentioning it all. Mm, gotcha. And not like people live for. Okay. So this is, so this is a follow-up to that point about the scandal and everything else that I got to ask a little bit of a hard hitting one, but I saw the reviews on Amazon and almost 
thousands of reviews. All of them are almost sterling. And to have that many reviews this early when it just launched in January. I don't look you, at them. You can't, yeah, you can't go to, if you, but if anybody does, like that's a good benchmark. You go to other books, not many books have reviews like this. Incredible. Mm-hmm. The ones that are negative are referencing to scandals and tweets of yours. Yeah. How, when, you, when you see that or you hear about it and resurfacing things that have already been addressed by you. Yes. How do you, what's your, your thought process of that from a personal and a business perspective? From a personal perspective, like being real, like it fucking kills me. Like yeah. it, and this is probably what the majority of the book is about is a type of person who got into this business, like to entertain and to be well-liked. And overnight I became very unliked that is earth shattering to me. And so the fact that like, I made a lot of, I've been on the internet since I was like 17 or 18. So of course I'm going to have some major fuck ups. It's been 10 years. And I feel like a lot of people have the privilege of growing up, being an asshole, learning from their mistakes and moving on. For me, I kind of am in this space where I wake up every day and more often than not, I'm confronted with my worst moments, like being reminded of the terrible things that I did or said. And that's so detrimental to my mental health. And like, that's what I'm working through from a professional standpoint. Like you're not an influencer if you don't have some sort of scandal. So like, it's kind of like a fucking rite of passage at this point, professionally, (laughs) those scandals every now and then like do come back to haunt me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I'll ever get to a place where like people aren't talking about it, but it is what it is. And if I I just, I have to handle it because I got into the wrong business if I can't. Yeah. Learning experience happened. You've grown from it. You're in a better place today and onward. Good perspective. All right. So from the old school form of paper books that you're crushing it and selling it with to kind of this new school thing where we got TikTok absolutely blowing up a whole new generation of like A-list TikToker celebrities. I'm curious from your perspective as a, you know, a media mogul since 17, what do you think about this whole TikTok uh, extravagant and like what's your perspective from the business and also influencer perspective? I love it. Like I actually (laughs) just yesterday had to set a timer limit on my phone because last week you're going to die. I checked my screen time on Sunday last week. Do you know how many hours cumulatively I spent on TikTok? You know, what's funny is we do a segment at the end of this podcast where we open up the vault. And one of my fucking questions you just stole was what is your screen time? So since we're going to pull that out and do it right now, I'm going to take a stab and say your screen time is on average 10 hours a day. Okay. Uh, Let me see. But I want you to guess how many hours last week, cumulatively, I spent only on TikTok. Only on TikTok. Okay. I'm doing a little quick math here. If you put an hour in a day, I would say that's above average. But given your tone, it's even higher than that. So let's say it's two hours a day. I'm going to say 14 hours in the week. Okay. It was 24. (laughs) <laughs> I spent a whole fucking day of my life on TikTok and I have absolutely no regrets. And that's only that in crazy? seven days. Literally almost 20% days. Of, the, of the week you were fucking scrolling on TikTok. I know, but you know what? Like, not only do I enjoy it immensely, it yeah. is my job to be like kept abreast on all sure. the drama of, you know, Josh Richards and Nessa Barrett. And like this week in particular has been crazy. Like Josh's girlfriend, Nessa, is now dating Jaden, but he had a girlfriend named Maddie. Like there's so much going on and I'm living for it. And it's also good for my business because it is my job to be this like know-it-all person. Do you find that your demographic of followers have interest in that? Yes, that's the thing. It's like, we, and my audience is mostly millennial. It's not really Gen Z, but like we have this obsession with the youth. Like what are the kids up to? And the kids on TikTok are going wild. And it's like a running joke. Like, like we're, 
I am too old to be on TikTok and I am 26. Like I'm not that young. I'm not that old. But like, it, it does make you feel like a creep. But like TikTok is so addicting and you can't help but get caught up in the drama. Yeah, it's, I'm, uh, I'm surprised though. Cause I keep seeing everyone is obviously integrating TikTokers, right? Dave Portnoy, all the, everybody and anybody in media is finding ways to, to get in touch with the youth. I just like, as bad as I am, I don't even know any of these guys or these girls or the drama. But apparently if your followers who have grown with you are still wildly interested in it, it makes sense. And I also think you can get like a, t- like a degree these days. You could learn more on TikTok than you can in a fucking classroom. These 11-year-olds so, are oh. professional video editors. Like I cannot keep up with all of these trends and the effects. Like I can't even edit my TikToks like half as good as these literal 11th graders. Oh, it's freaking, oh, it makes it's me feel crazy. like I'm getting old. But here we are. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so another business endeavor which you already kind of had mentioned earlier is this podcast network you have. So obviously you can join a big network, right? You can get the big iHeart deal or be, you know, and all the big players. Take some upfront money. Look at what Joe Rogan did. 500 million just for his exclusivities. Uh, for you, what made you actually start the network and what were some of the burdens and how has it been going so far since you launched it? It's great. I mean, for us, like when we pitch people for TNN, our biggest asset is the fact that like the toast has this huge audience that are just, you know, dying for more content. So you can join iHeart and get like no promotion from them. Like they will literally, you can use their studio, you will get no marketing, no advertising. Hmm. With the toast, you have Girl With No Job, The Morning Toast, Jackie O, all of the different platforms that have really loyal followings. You have them promoting your podcast almost every week. It's like almost a no brainer. And we have a partner for our podcast network that, you know, sells the show, distributes the show. So it's like, it's super legit in yeah. terms of the back end. Like you will, your show will get sold. It will get distributed to all the platforms you wanted to. It is very high end, but you also have like this, like you said, media mogul, all these different Instagram accounts, podcasts promoting your show. And you're never going to get that at an iHeartRadio. And so how many shows do you guys have at this point? So some of them are off right now, but like between six and seven, like not a lot. Yeah. Like we wanted to keep it Selected. small and, and we only wanted to have podcasts with people who we know. So like, everyone on our network, like we are good friends with and we know that the toasters would love. Like one of our most successful podcasts is Lauren Elizabeth. She's an amazing Insta- uh, YouTuber, Instagrammer. Now she has a podcast that's super successful. She's literally one of my best friends and best friends with all my sisters. So it's really like a family thing. Gotcha. And so when you get into a business like that, of course you put financials together and you put forecasts. Would you say that the forecast from like a revenue and profitability standpoint has met the expectation or has there been more probably costs and in, in some difficulties associated with starting a podcast network that you just didn't expect? No, that's what's so amazing about podcasting, especially in the age of COVID. It is like a cost-free business. Like Mm -hmm. you can record a decent audio podcast on your cell phone in voice memos. Zoom is free. Your phone is free. Like it is a very low cost business and you don't have to spend a lot of money to have a good podcast. You just need to be a good podcaster, which obviously not everyone can do. Right. And I I think that's a good point that anyone is listening is that everyone can be a Claudia, but the barriers to entry to this stuff is so limited. Whether you're blogging, you're putting out content, you do have a podcast, whatever, writing a book, you could self-publish if you can't land a big publisher. So all this stuff can be done and there's 168 hours in a week and you can do it. There's some side hustle. When we first started The Morning Toast, we had no network. We uploaded for free on SoundCloud and then you can get your RSS feed from SoundCloud to the different podcast platforms. It was completely free and... Once we started, like, you know, 
having like a reputable audience, the the networks came a knocking. And it's just cool to know, like you, my podcast mic that I've had for like six years is from Amazon. It's <laughs> USB connected. Like it's not that serious. Like it's intimidating. People are like, well, I don't know how to edit. I don't know how to edit. Now I'm a garage band queen. Like it's really self-taught and it's super low cost to start. My blog started, everyone's like, did you have capital? I'm like, I literally borrowed $50 from my sister to get a WordPress account. <laughs> like that's it. That's what's so great about the internet. It's like, you can be an entrepreneur and you don't have to raise capital. Exactly. And I don't know if those chairs actually are gold-plated or gold that you guys have. But even if they're not, guys, you can just go paint your fucking chairs gold and still they'll look pretty. (laughs) They're from this shady-ass website. Like, they're not legit. I love it. And I also think one thing I don't want to overlook is your perspective. Like, you went to NYU, one of the toughest schools in the country. And for you, your perspective at a young age was like, yeah, I could do more. And I think if more people think about what else they could do to optimize and be efficient, it could change their whole outlook financially and professionally. No, I get like every ounce of my work ethic is 100% inspired by Joan Rivers. Like if you ever are feeling down and like you feel like your work ethic is just like not where it used to be, like watch your documentary piece of work and see what this 82 year old was doing on a weekly basis. Like you will die. I'm going to go look, check her documentary. It's Obviously I know her, but I've never seen it. All right. Oh Wait, so wait for anyone it's... that was curious, what is it? Is it, what is it called? So it's called a piece of work by uh, okay. Joan Rivers. It is her documentary from I think when she was like in her 80s maybe late 70s and she talks obviously a lot about how like you know being in show business is just highs and lows and highs and lows and nobody got canceled more than her she was banned from NBC her show got canceled and why I love her is because of her resilience like there were years where she was you know one year she was at the Emmys and then five years later she can't even sell 20 tickets at a comedy club downtown New York like it's unbelievable the things that this woman went through and then she really hit her peak at 75 she won Celebrity Apprentice. She's hosting Fashion Police. She's on the red carpet. And she just doesn't stop. Go, go, go. And in the documentary, it's like, she's filming Celebrity Apprentice. She's flying all around the country doing comedy. She's going to HSN, selling her jewelry. She's doing book tours, selling books and signing books, doing corporate events, private events, flying commercial. Like, it's just insane. And what she says, she's like, I have a very expensive life. And if I want to keep this up, I got to fly out to San Francisco and go to some random casino in the middle of the week. To perform for to perform a show, and then you also get bits of her stand up, which is just like brilliant beyond brilliant, and it's an unbelievable documentary. Everyone just has so many excuses. She's doing this at seventy five, exactly. still grinding, right? Like there's, yep. and I think the, the one thing for me is like the, oh, the constantly overcoming adversity. Probably something that you looked up to during your time 100%. of being in the dark spot. And she like so leaned into like her controversy. She never yeah. apologized. I could never do that because I'm just like I hate like you know upsetting people. <laughs> But she thrived on it. And it's just like cool to see, especially we're living in such like a time where it's like if you even remotely say something that could possibly be misconstrued, like you have to release an apology. And like she just fucking loved it. And she was just saying crazy shit and doing crazy shit only because not because she believed it, but because she just believed in her right to say whatever the fuck she wanted. And I just found that like inspiring. Claudia, this this has been awesome. Just to get to know, know more about you, your perspective, some of the challenges you've overcome and how you've got to where you are. We're going to learn just a little bit more about you as we wrap this podcast up by cracking into the vault on trading secrets. We got about eight rapid fire questions. And then we end every podcast with a trading secret. So anything from life, career navigation, financial management, investments, anything that you can give to our viewers that they just couldn't Google or find in a textbook. That's the idea of the trading secret. So before we do that, let's crack into the vault with Claudia. The first question, uh, is stand-up comedy as nerve-wracking as it looks? Yes, it's actually worse. Like It's everyone's worst nightmare and it's worse than that. 
Have you ever been in a performance where you had no feedback from the crowd or that you might have been booed off stage? 100%. I mean, most of my shows are sold directly to my listeners. So mm-hmm. like, I know that the people in the audience, it's such a privilege to like do comedy in your first two years and have all your shows be sold out to people who love your content. So it's like the easiest foray into stand up. But I've been booked for a couple of corporate gigs that were um, so painful, like I've never <laughs> wanted to die more. But it makes you stronger. I also like the idea of hedging to your audience. So you know that there's a couple laughs there regardless. Yeah. If your child comes into this world and says, Mom, I want to be a comedian, what would you tell him or her? That is a good question because I would tell them, go to school. Like, get a job. Get a job. <laughs> Don't do this life shit. is not worth it. Like, get a job. Yeah. And for most people, I assume that being uh, in the comedy world obviously can pay its dividends, but I assume that the, the big standard deviation, majority of people are struggling to perform yes. and, and make, I think that's make a ends fair, meet, right? Safe assessment. Yes. Gotcha. All right. Outside of running your Instagram podcast, writing the New York Times bestseller, YouTube, everything else, you know, what do you actually, other than scrolling 24 hours for TikTok, which is actually, in my opinion, work? Um, yes. What agreed. do you? What do you do for Claudia? Like, what are some self care things you do to mentally uh, stay strong and work as hard as you do? I drink a lot. Um, <laughs> no, I'm well, kidding. I, mean, I do. I do drink same, a lot, but that's same. that's also work, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah no. I feel like what I do to unwind. It's so funny because people are like, "Don't you get burnt out?" I'm like, "No, no." When I'm done, quote unquote, working, like I get back in bed and I'm scrolling TikTok, and like that is my peaceful you know, moment, but I spend a lot of time with my family. My family is literally the most important thing to me. And when you become successful and then you become controversial, like the friends that you thought were your friends, like you never hear from them again. So it really puts into perspective, like how valuable family is. And so I would say like almost, if not all of my free time is spent with my family. That's awesome. All right. With your family, you're an open book. How do you determine what you keep private versus what you keep public? For me, I'm pretty much an open book, but I realize that not everyone is that way. So my, I draw the line where my family draws the line. If somebody doesn't want something shared, I won't share it. If it's about me, I'll pretty much share anything. But I realize that I'm unique in that. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to like people who I'm close with, friends and family, who are not the most public, sure. I respect their boundaries. That's a fair. That's a good strategy to deal with that. Uh, I, Caitlin, and I have you know similar discussions as right. you can imagine. So, <laughs> as she's similar to you, it's all out there. <laughs> all right. How about this one? We already know that you spent a little too much money on purses back in the day. What is one thing you think you spend too much money on today that you're like, I'm not changing that. I'm going to keep spending that money. Okay. So pre-COVID, because COVID like fucked up everyone's finances, and I don't think my like what I've spent all I spend money on now is Postmates. But okay. <laughs> um, pre-COVID, I have like a really big problem. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm such a club rat. Like I love going clubbing, and like I buy, no like, way. Do you really? Yeah. Oh my god. And I buy like the best table for all my friends. I'm like, we're going. And that's wow. something I don't regret because it's some of the best like experiences and moments of my life. And like, I just, I love dancing. I love drinking. Like I am the biggest club rat ever. I have spent so much money on tables in Vegas and I have no regrets about it. Like none I love that you own that. You're just like, you just, and you still, you're, you don't think that you're still rocking it. Like married, oh, don't care. Yeah. Like I'm going, me and my yeah, husband I mean, are going married. down. I've been engaged since I was 21. So like, it was like the, the height of my club going years. Me and Ben are obsessed with going clubbing. Oh my God. Okay. We're going to have to go clubbing one time. It sounds like a hell yes. of a time. I mean, I literally spent five figures on a table, like dead ass. Yes. I love it. It was so I, worth it. 
We did for we had it was more of a business expense when I was a banker. We had similar deals like that, and so that was a lot, a lot of action. And as an influencer, like you actually get a lot of bottle service for free, which I love. You do. Yep. Um, and so, like when I was, I had my 25th birthday in Vegas, and I got like yeah. everything free except this one. I wanted to go see Diplo, okay. and the club, the club was just like not offering me anything for free, and I was just like, fuck it, and I spent five figures on the table. Get it, girl. Let's and go. I, only- I don't even regret it. Like it was the best night of my life. We stayed there until 7 a.m. We literally shut the club down because when you have 10 dollars oh, I didn't mean to say how <laughs> <laughs> it comes out. When Trace you spend secrets. that much money, you have a bill and you need to drink. So I'm like, sure. we are not leaving until you, we drink every dollar that I spent. I completely, when you spend that, you know, X amount of dollars, thousand plus on one bottle of champagne, that motherfucker better we be drinking, drinking to it. the tip. And I don't I care actually, how long it takes. Ben took home, we had a whole bottle of 1942 left. Ben uh-huh. shoved it in his pants and took Respect it back to the hotel. That. I have done the same and I respect yeah. that move. It's a great move. Hey, Claudia, can we get a favorite club? What's your the favorite? What's your go-to? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, in New York, the club scene is like always kind of shifting. So it's hard to pick a favorite. For a while, my favorite club in New York was Paul's Casablanca. It was the best, but I think they went out of business. Um, in Vegas, I do love a day party. Like I just love oh, being drunk, like best. jumping in the pool. And for my bachelorette party, actually my yeah. whole bachelorette party was sponsored by MGM. So everything so was cool. free. I took like 30 girls to Vegas and they got us the sickest table at Wet Republic. Like I was literally sitting on Tiesto's lap. It was like a $40,000 <sighs> table that we got for free. We love that. Shout out to MGM. Also, financial people out there, MGM has a great stock and they have a great real estate holding stock. So check that oh. out. But Wet Republic, I love. This is this is very unpopular opinion. I'm going to say my best and favorite day, uh, day club. No, everyone's going to be like, you're out of your mind. It's Tao. I like how small it is. Like, I like mm. Wet Republic is like just way too big. I'm like, this is, I'm like I paralyzed mean, by how much shit's going on. In Vegas, it's just like, they're all the same. Like, just give me a club and a bottle and I don't care where I am. <laughs> I love it. All right. We got one more question before we go to your trading secret. Claudia, if I give you a million bucks in cash right now, given the market, where everything's at, where are you going to invest and put that money? That's a great question. Um, I have to put 500000 away for taxes because I live in okay. New York. <laughs> so I only have 500000 left. Great answer. And I'm going to put 400000 in like a very conservative, um, like, bond, like low okay. yield, like for, I don't need it right now, sure. but I'm going to keep a hundred thousand just for expenses. Maybe I'll take a trip, buy myself a boat. Oh, I like it. Well, it's so amazing when you answer that question, how drastically different everyone responds. That is Claudia's investment strategy. Before we end uh, wrap up here, Claudia, give us one trading secret that a consumer or anybody listening just couldn't Google or find in the textbook. If you are making your own money and you are starting your own business and you live in somewhere like New York, it is imperative that you not only every time you get a paycheck, put 50%, like, and people think I'm like, it's actually 50%, put half of it. I have like a savings account. Every time I make a dollar, 50 cents goes in that account because at some point I'm going to get a call from my accountant. I pay year on taxes, December. Hey, we need this money. It's sitting in an account. Like, and I have had many years before that when I literally got a call and we're like, you owe X to the government. I'm like, well, I don't fucking have it. I spent it because I didn't realize it's literally half your income. Half your income goes to taxes. And until you wrap your mind around that and you spend money that you don't fucking have, every time I make a dollar, I'm like 50 cents and 50 of these cents do not belong to me. They never belong to me and they go in a separate account. I highly recommend having a separate account. When you're a freelancer, you pay 1099 taxes, not a W-2. 
you take half of what you make and you put it in a fucking account. Exactly. And I think that is such a good piece of advice and a training secret. No one has shared so far. And the other takeaway there too, is like you said earlier, get a good accountant. You got to know the ins and outs. Tax law and strategy is changing by the minute. Even if you're a W-2 employee, there are different things that you can do to reduce your overall tax burden, but make sure you have a professional that's helping you out. Claudia, and you that can't is, Google it. You cannot you Google cannot it. Like, that is not sufficient. Shit. It's not no, sufficient. And, and also the book, by the way, of tax law is like five fucking like that is like the most sacrilegious thing but it's like five fucking bibles so get a professional because it'll save you tons of money that's good piece of advice claudia everything you have going on this has been awesome to learn from you financially personally and also had a little fun doing it one day we're gonna all go and throw down at the club i could see you and caitlin just pounding 1942 while ben and i are like holy shit (laughs) these two are awesome but that being said where can everyone find and get more claudia well, The Morning Toast is available Monday through Friday on YouTube and anywhere you get your podcast. You can follow me on Girl With No Job. And my book is available, uh, ebook, audiobook, hardcover, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the places. Amazing. All right, we will check that book out. We're going to order it. Actually, right here, right now, we're going to order 10 of them. And if Ooh. anyone in the reviews gives us some feedback on this, put your Instagram handle. We are going to get 10 Claudia's books away. Claudia, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate all your insight. Thank you. This has been too much fun. Ding, ding, ding. We are ringing in the closing bell on the girl with no job episode, Claudia. And I got David here with me. He's going to help me break down our guest as he does every episode. David, the voice of the viewer, the curious Canadian will get my take on the girl with no job interview with Claudia. Girl with no job. David, what do you got? What'd you think? Talk to me. I energy. That girl is high energy. <laughs> Unlike the Rob Deerdick episode, where I'm like, this is really soothing. Her is like, okay, like this is like a pre-workout. So very high energy, very insightful, a really cool story. And just, it's just interesting. Like with this podcast, all the different guests, she mentioned she has 98% female following. Uh, I've never heard of her. I know people that we've talked about that are having guests on are so excited. So just so interesting to just hear her side of the story. Something that was completely, completely like foreign to me. Yeah, I don't think you probably fit the demographic of, of her following, that's for sure. But she is, she does so well. And like I said in the interview, her audience and community is so engaging. The, the toasters absolutely love and adore her. The other thing too is I know that she just started this segment where she never drinks coffee and she tried coffee for like 20 something <laughs> days in a row. And so I'm thinking, how is Because like I, I see even in your notes, David, you said, I feel like I was listening at one and a half speed. And I'm going to tell you, like when I listened to it back, I was like, do I have this on one and a half speed? It, she's she's high energy. I mean, that's the only way to put it. But with that being said, like fi- like financial podcasts, really interesting to hear kind of her trials and tribulations, her success stories, how she monetizes different platforms. And just the fact that she's kind of transitioned into having a daily podcast. Now we do this podcast one episode a week and I know how much energy it takes us. Do you think you'll ever get to a place where Trading Secrets is more than one episode a week? The dream would be for Trading Secrets to have a daily podcast. I mean, that is such a cool thing to be able to do. That's what all the big XM shows do. Obviously, Howard Stern did that and has absolutely crushed it. I mean, to do that would be amazing. What's cool about them is everything is like self-made. Like I've done their show before and they have a studio in New York City and you go to it and they created the set and they did it all on their own. So, so many people out there that are like, yeah, well, I'm still waiting for that call or that email for someone to recruit me. They just did it themselves and they do it every single day. And the amount of work that must take is just, I mean, that's a lot. 
in addition to the podcast, she talked about, and this is the kind of the only thing in the episode where I was like, Hey, I have no clue what they're talking about uh, <laughs> is pa- Patreon. I always yeah. want to like, it's like I, my, my mind wants to hear Patron and say Patron, but Patreon, <laughs> which, which so, is awful by the way. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> sick. Um, so what is Patreon? Cause I know she talked a little bit about like a, a, it as a revenue stream in the structure, but I have no clue what it is. It sounds like an OnlyFans type thing, but obviously like what's the goal with Patreon? How does it work? We used to drink Crystal Palace gin or vodka for like six bucks. And here I am now 32 <laughs> chirping freaking Patron. What a loser. But anyway, yeah. I don't like it. Patreon. Okay. So essentially what it is, it's a membership platform, right? So it's what's funny about that question is actually OnlyFans is technically the same thing. It's a membership platform. Okay. What are the differences when you think uh, OnlyFans, you're thinking nudes, right? And that's mm-hmm. what a lot of it is. Nudes, videos, stuff like that. Where Patreon is the same thing. It's a membership platform, but most of the creators are uh, artists, entertainers, podcasters, bloggers, uh, famous individuals. The idea is that they can get members to come on to whatever they are providing and pay a monthly subscription. And then Patreon will run a lot of the operations for you so you can have okay. a, a monthly subscription. So she might charge her toasters, I don't know, maybe it's 10 bucks, or I forgot exactly what it is, 12 bucks a month. And in return, they'll get more episodes, they get more of her, maybe they'll get one-on-one contact, et cetera. And then Patreon does all the operations behind it. OnlyFans is actually trying to get to that model. The problem is they're so stuck in the stigma of like sex. Well, okay. So it's just different, completely different marketing strategies to probably different audiences for the purpose of it. But interesting to hear that that OnlyFans is trying to transition over. And just interesting just to know that there's a market out there for that, that just she releases, like you said, a daily podcast and people just still want more. Anyone could do it too. You could just be like an artist, like a painter, right? And then you create it and maybe you release certain, I don't know, pieces to your people. David, for hockey and stuff, hockey skills, you can create a Patreon model where people will pay 10 bucks and every week you show workouts that'll help you get faster, right? So anyone even Mm -hmm. listening could start one. That's not a bad idea. I like that. There we go. So she talked about Patreon as a, as a revenue stream and in all the revenue things, I think a theme, even her trading secret was about taxes, yeah. like taxes, taxes. And I know taxes, the word just terrifies people. It terrifies me. Like it's the one thing where my accountant could literally sign my life away. And I'd be like, I'm not looking at this. I'm just going to sign it. Cause I don't even know what's going on. She said, there's no tax law for how to be an influencer. I know you have the books coming out. I don't know if you touched on this aspect of it in terms of your career and influencing. Do you touch at all on taxes for influencers. And on top of that, if not, have you ever thought about writing a book since the trends show how many people, especially the youth want to do influencing for a career? Have you ever thought about doing that like a one-on-one on how to be an influencer as a book? I love the book idea. So the first book I have is just on restarting your career, start to finish, hiring to firing. That's going to come out in April. And then the next book is all going to be about finances. So my next book, probably, but this is a big thing. And she mentioned Jersey Shore. She's talking about Mike Sorrentino, as we all know, Mike from Jersey Shore. And so he actually, I believe he was sentenced to eight months in jail. He had to do some parole time. He had some big fees because he didn't pay taxes. And I believe what was around $9 million of income. And I'll tell you, to your point, David, like there are so many things that fall through the cracks to these people that just quickly, you know, fall into this money. And I think another interesting is like the big thing in the the bachelor world right now is the PPP loans. Everyone's like pointing fingers and stuff. To your point, a lot of these bachelor contestants could have got these PPP loans, which I chose not to do, but it could have been technically, it could have, and I would have suggested that none of them do that 
for many reasons, put that money to people that actually could really benefit from it in the purpose that it was, um, not take advantage of that specific loophole. But it could have been their advisor saying, hey, you qualify for this, I'll get you 20K. And they just really didn't know. And to your point, they're like, okay, accountant, let's do it. So that's the tough part in this world. It's, it really is a tough part, but you got to learn and you got to learn quick. Now, you said the book releases in April. You heard firsthand, uh, New York Times bestseller. It's all about that kind of pre-sales, got to hype it up. Do you have any plans for pre-sales? Any tours, any trips that you can tell the people about? What's going yeah, on? I mean, I want to get this to be a New York Times bestseller so badly. So I'm <laughs> literally looking at what all people are doing now and seeing what's flopping and what's working. Mm -hmm. I thought one really brilliant idea Rebecca Minkoff did because she wanted her book to be a New York Times bestseller. I don't think she necessarily cared about the money. She really just wanted the pride with it. So what she was doing was if you bought her book, say the book is 30 bucks, she gave you a $30 gift card to her store, Rebecca Minkoff. Now, I don't think 30 okay. bucks is going to get you more much at her store, but I <laughs> like that strategy. So maybe something of the sort, but I'll be doing anything and everything because I believe in the book. I believe in the material and that'd be cool to have a New York Times bestseller. Maybe, maybe you need to send uh, early release copy to the voice of the viewer. I need to read uh, it. I need to highlight some, some WTF moments, which I'm going to bring up to you in a sec here. Okay. And we can tease a little bit in a special episode the week prior to the release and give the people a little taste of what they're gonna what they're gonna get in the book from the voice of the viewer. Love it, David. Okay. God, you're firing away. Let's go. All right. Couple quick questions before I get to this segment. Here, um, she talks about having, you know, she got her husband into boy with no job. She talked about getting her dog into pup with no job. Um, <laughs> I have a as I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, okay, keeping the family, they must make it a lot easier. Obviously, you and KB and Ramon and Pino all have social accounts, all have influencing status in their world, which is crazy to say about your dogs. Um, <laughs> but I'm wondering, do you think that it's easier to be an influencer in when it's in the family? Or do you think it'd be easier to be an influencer with your significant other having like a nine to five job? Yeah. So you mentioned the dogs. And just so people know, Doug the Pug, we do have him coming on over a like over millions and millions and millions of tens of millions of followers. That's crazy. But I think it's much easier to have a significant other in the world. One, because they know it. Two, because they bring a different dimension. And B, like, I think three, you just like have your followers kind of overlap. So you create yeah. more engagement. You know who does it so well? Caitlin and I kind of have our own things. And then we do like little couple things here and there. But I think the, the Sean Johnson and Andrew East are like the best couples and families in the social media world I've seen the way they integrate their kids and lessons and fun. I mean, they're incredible. Okay. Interesting. Check them out. I will. And then lastly, a lot of the episode was about scandals and just navigating and handling scandals. Now, obviously you don't have any scandals or else we would have heard about them, but I know by being around you and being in certain situations that you're, it's always like, you're always wondering who's take, who's taking a, picture, who's taking a video, you know, who's recognizing, who's sniping you, quote, quote unquote. Um, how much mental energy gets put in your daily life about wondering if people are going to misconstrue or, or turn a situation into something? Like how much mental energy does that bring into just trying to avoid something like that? Oh, I can't even put into words how much mental energy it consumes. It is exhausting, right? Because in the, this day and age, a photo or a video does not tell a full story, right? Suppose I'm literally sitting at a table with my cousin, which this has happened before, and someone's taking a picture. 
Jason's on a date with a girl. What's happening? What's going on? No, that's my sister, my mom's sister's daughter. That's my direct cousin, oh right? But no one may not know that, right? So that's just a small example. So you just think about all the little things. If you're your buddies with a bar or this or that, or the, it's constant like eyes without uh, and a lot of assumptions, which is like just so is so exhausting. It's so exhausting. So with the good comes that yeah. negative territory, which is just brutal. Would you say it's the number one thing that you you miss most about pre uh, like pre bachelor life, pre show life? Yeah, I think the number the I the my biggest pet peeve, which drives me absolutely nuts, are when people are taking sneaky photos or sneaky Aww. videos. It just feels like the the biggest invasion of privacy. And so sometimes you'll see it in the act, or sometimes you'll see it after when it's posted somewhere. I just if you if someone wants to come say hi, come say hi. But don't to me that just absolutely drives me nuts. And to not be able to let your guard down in these situations and and relax and kind of always keep your head on the swivel. And again, I hate to act like I'm a victim, oh my God. Oh. but like no, that's the yeah. that's some of the negative. Stuff sides that, that come with it for sure. And I will say as uh, as one of Jason's good friends and now his podcast co-member, if you come up, if you want, if you see Jason and you want to say hi to him, go up, say hi to him, mention the podcast and, uh, or restart or that you're a listener from that. And uh, he has all the time in the world for you. So absolutely. With that, with that being said, we're going to, to a new segment, I'm going to throw out there because I, I wish I could capture my reactions when I'm listening back to these episodes for the first time. And so I'm going to, I'm going to start with a new segment called my WTF moments okay. where it's like jaw dropping or interesting or like make me spit my coffee out when I'm listening. So I'm going to throw these three at you. Okay. And I want your reaction. $1 million per episode for Jersey Shore. She said they were getting, is that factual or is that just her just like over-exaggerating? That's why I got to look it up, but that is a WTF moment. That seems like a little bit of an exaggeration, but I got, I'll look it up. Okay. Uh, number two, she spends 24 hours on TikTok. Now that is a, in a week. That is insane. But, uh, and she said she's 26, too old. I'm 34, still on it. I'm too old. But what is the best life hack that you've learned from TikTok? Oh my God. There are so, I've learned so many life hacks. I mean, TikTok is like a full university. Like it's literally anything, like even I'm like learning different tricks from social media from that. I still learn financial tricks from that. I learned the best is like the folding the clothes ones. I love like for 32 years, I've been folding my damn shirt wrong. Here's my favorite. I'm just dropping this knowledge ball on everyone real quick. You know what it means when it says there's a 40% chance of rain on the weather forecast? Um, no, tell me. So everyone thinks there's a 40% chance if it's going to rain or not. It actually means... There's a hundred percent chance it's going to rain, but it's only going to cover 40% of the area that you're researching. Wow. That Did blows not mind. know that. TikTok <laughs> University. And now they're accepting uh, resumes and people are going to be hiring with videos that are submitted through TikTok. So there's that's, that. That's unbelievable. Fact. And then my last WTF moment was picturing her in a nightclub with her energy and how much she thrives and how much she says she's a club rat. Like anyone who misses she's a club rat is like my kind of person. Just like that was like a WTF moment. Like I just want to know what that looks like. Let me be like a, like a, what does that fly say? Fly on the wall. So, uh, fly on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me be a fly on the wall for her at a table. Do you think you could keep, keep up with her? At a I've table? seen, I love, like she does these dances and it is so funny and you can't stop watching them when she does it with her sister. And it is just like uh, the word that you always use. It's electric and it's like magnifying. It brings you in and you repeat and you watch it and you watch it. I think, I don't know if I could keep up with her, but we're going to do it. She said she was down. 
We're going to do a big night out. We're going to get her husband. We'll get Caitlin there. Uh, we'll just throw a big party. The voice of the viewer will come. What do you think about that? I'm but in. that was a WTF moment because she must throw down. I'm in. And the funniest part, just to wrap it up real quick, the funniest part was we know that our buddy, co-producer Evan, is also like loves himself a night in the club. And so when he <laughs> jumped in the interview and was like, what's your favorite nightclub? I just like burst out laughing. Like, of, <laughs> of course, course the only did. time we hear Evan is like talking about clubs. So uh, that was great. It. Great, great episode. Evan brings it full circle with the clubs. It's so good to hear from someone like that. I love how she broke it down. A lot of simplicities. We talk a lot about the dollar signs, which is cool, but I loved how she actually broke down kind of exactly how she got there from NYU to how she didn't try to create this community for money, but the way that she fell into it and backed into it. It took her four years, four years to start making some serious money, but along the way was definitely picking up some side hustles. So hopefully you felt that this was another episode of Trading Secrets, one you couldn't afford to miss. If you could please give us five stars, give us your feedback. Let us know what your best moment from this podcast was. Put your Instagram handle because we do have a full team reaching out to each person that leaves a comment. And thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Trading Secrets, an episode and hopefully a show by now that you can't afford to miss. And if you want some more content, go to restartatjasontardic.com. Shoot us a message. We have a networking group that's less than 30 cents a day that you can join at any time and get all the exclusive content and some one-on-one time with David and I. Thank you for being here. Tune in next week. Trading Secrets, another episode you can't afford to miss.